welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey podcast, episode number 19. We're going to be joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing pretty well. I'm happy to be awake after the massive amounts of food that I consumed during the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, I hope you're not feeling as lethargic as I am at this moment. The diet will come soon. (laughs) Full disclosure, we are a couple of VMware solution engineers looking to bring you the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. Hopefully our career discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at NerdJourney. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome. Great. How was that opening for you, Nick? Good. Can't complain. I like it. 19 episodes in and still going strong. There you go. There you go. The iterations continue. The iterations continue. <laughs> okay. So let's get to topics. Uh, today we have two topics. Um, as an introduction, uh, this kind of uh, came up when we helped someone apply for a job, um, and then he didn't get it. So that sparked some thoughts that we thought we'd share. Uh, the first topic is process over outcomes, um, focusing on the on having good process over having good outcomes. And then the sepic, s- second topic is dreaming in bands. And uh, maybe I won't explain it. Uh, Maybe we'll just get to that when we get to it. All right. So first topic, process over outcomes. So let me maybe explain this a little bit further. The idea here is that you should cultivate an attitude that rewards or chastises yourself for your process rather than your outcomes. And uh, uh, maybe just a little bit more, you can control your process, right? Those are the things that you can do. Um, how you do things, uh, your focus that you bring, the uh, discipline that you bring to what it is that you do on a daily basis, or maybe if you're looking for a new job, the process that you bring to, to searching for and applying for those jobs. Um, the outcomes of those things have influences that you just don't have any control over, right? Uh, there's other people that you're working with. Maybe there's uncertainty um, or the element of chance uh, in that uh, process, and you know that affects that outcome. That you just don't have any you don't have any control over it. So uh, you need to focus on the things that you can control and be excellent, as good as you can possibly be at those processes. Um, and I don't want to claim credit for this thought because even in my mind, I I definitely came across this uh, from a couple different sources um, and it solidified this uh, idea of, of thinking in my mind. The first source was uh, Alan Shoemaker. He wrote a book called the psychology of poker and we'll put a link to the publisher there. Um, And then the second, I think influence that was a little bit more recent, uh, was Annie Duke. Uh, She was a professional poker player, I think is now retired. Uh, And she currently has a book called Thinking in Bets. Um, And she was a guest on the Slate Money podcast uh, recently. And, um, you know, she reminded me uh, 
um, of her thinking and, and, and reading. And uh, I think she's there promoting her book. She also had a, another article recently called Why Uncertainly, Uncertainty Isn't a Barrier to Success. We'll throw a link up to that too. Um, <laughs> maybe I should explain uh, why I have two poker sources uh have you been to vegas lately john is that what this is you you took a trip to vegas for work <laughs> it's it's funny that you say that it actually does come out of uh trips to vegas right or actually lacks thereof so in you know i grew up in southern california my family i think we went to vegas a couple times uh on on national park trips it was kind of a staging city to go to um a, a couple different national parks. Uh, but you know, I, I definitely had no interest in gambling. I remember I, there was a, a kind of a, a, a discussion in the nineties about, uh, blackjack teams. The MIT blackjack team was in the news and I was at Caltech and I looked around at my friends and I went, well, we're smart enough to do that. And then I looked at the game of blackjack and I was like, Oh, that's rigged. Like it's a, it's a game where, the house you're playing against the house and the house has an edge on you. Right. So there's very, very little that you can do to actually make the game profitable for yourself. Um, so I promised myself, actually, I wouldn't go back to, I wouldn't go to Vegas as an adult unless there was a game that I knew how to play and play well, that was actually, you know, net profitable to me. So eventually the poker boom, I think world series of poker was on ESPN and, and then the world, uh, there's a, like the poker tour or something like that. Uh, Anyway, like, you know, I kind of started watching that and got really interested and did some uh, research on the game of poker and found out, oh, okay, this can be actually a positive, uh, profitable game to play in Vegas. So so I set out to learn how to play it. Um, so that's why, you know, this was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And, uh, and so I have a lot of, uh, you know, I'm a, I, you know, how do I learn something? I read a book about it. So. Um, that's why I have all this, uh, I have a shelf, like, uh, one of my bookshelves, bookshelves has a full shelf of just poker books. Um, and, uh, it's not something that I actually do anymore. Uh, I, I found out that playing really good poker is pretty boring, pretty boring. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's shaped my thinking. So, um, that's why I have all this, uh, uh, these poker books that, that shape my thinking and maybe poker thinkers shaping my thinking. Watch out folks. He has a really good poker face. You better be ready for it. Yeah. I, I might not actually have a very good poker face. <laughs> that might be another reason why I don't play poker. It's also not very profitable unless you have a lot of money lying around. So um, I just wanted to say, you know, even though I just talked about poker and, you know, I want to, kind of have like a preface on the morality of gambling. Like uh, I, I don't really have a position on that. Like I, I think that gambling itself can be like a pretty destructive force in people's lives. And um, it's not actually something that I recommend people do. Um, but I think the, the methods of thought and thinking that these books describe are very, very uh, useful and have been very, very useful in my life. So um, that's why we're putting them up in the uh, the sources, uh, why I'm actually heartily uh, endorsing these uh, books. And uh, and so let's get into it uh, a little bit, you know, what 
the, the, the thesis or theses of these books and some of the ideas that they uh, reveal and, and how they're useful. Um, I think that um, the psychology of poker is probably the, the original source of what I call, um, you know, process thinking over outcome thinking. Um, Annie Duke's book uh, kind of uh, says, you know, it was written, I don't know, you know, 10 years later, but apparently professional poker players call um, focusing on, on outcomes, good outcomes, they call it resulting. And it's something that is, it's actually pretty frowned upon, right? Um, so let me start this off with a parable and the parable uh, involves statistics, okay? <laughs> so um, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, let's uh, bet on a coin flip. Um, coin flip is a 50-50 odds. Uh, you get to pick the coin, you pick a, a good true coin. 50% uh, of the time it's gonna come down heads and 50% of the time it's going to be tails. Um, and the person says, well, let's bet for a significant amount of money, $1,000. So you put up $1,000. I'm actually going to put up $2,000. So if you win the coin flip, you're going to win your $1,000 plus my two. If I win the coin flip, then I just win your $1,000, right? So you have a, a three to one payoff. Your opponent only has like a a 0.5 payoff. Um, you flip the coin and you lose. So you're out $1,000. So the question is, did you make a bad decision? Again, morality of gambling aside, did you make a bad decision? And the answer should be, no, you made a good decision, right? You flip a coin and you had the chance to make uh, three to one payoff versus uh, um, on a 50-50 on a chance, right? So half the time, you're going to make three times the money. You, if you did that over and over again, over the long term, you would make a lot of money. So despite the fact that you lost $1,000, you still made a good decision. And if you thought about it that way, the statistics, then you had a good process. And you should congratulate yourself for having a good process and making a good decision, even though technically the outcome was bad. Um, so let me maybe have you think about that in a different way. Okay, uh, Annie D Duke in, in the beginning of her book, she, she asked this question. So I'm gonna ask it to you. Think back over the past year and think about the best decision that you made, all right? And now think about the worst decision that you made. The presumption is, and I'm going to presume the same thing, that you answered the first question in your mind with something that was actually a good outcome and the second with something that was a bad outcome. So you didn't think about the decision. You thought about the outcome. And that's the thing that we need to overcome and process and process-oriented oriented thinking as opposed to outcome-oriented thinking. So um, here's an, another, like a non-gambling example, okay? And this comes from Tom Vanderbilt. He wrote a book called Traffic. We'll put a link to that. Um, and he, he points out to the fact, um, and this is like from data, that um, at-fault accidents are usually like the tip of the iceberg, um, an iceberg of bad 
behaviors and bad decisions, which the drivers usually don't remember. Um, and uh, so, again, uh, just a thought experiment, right? Somebody is at a party, drinks a little bit too much, is still uh, under the influence, maybe on the edge as far as blood alcohol level, drives home, uh, makes it home fine. Uh, was that a good decision? And I would, I would suggest it was a good outcome. The person made it home safely, but it wasn't a good decision, right? So again, good decisions, good process versus good outcomes. And it's too easy to get down on ourselves about bad outcomes. Um, when we should really be reinforcing, um, and congratulating ourselves for having a good process. Um, so maybe how do we apply this to career management, right? Again, you need to reward yourself for good process. You need to reinforce those good processes. Um, and you know, not just congratulations, you know, you have good process and, you know, let it slip, but okay, I need to double down and I need to maintain those good processes. And then you also need to, you know, correct your faulty processes. Um, and that really means that you need to be honest with yourself about what those faulty processes might be. Um, again, uh, Alan Schoenmaker uh, in Psychology of Poker, his first principle is like your greatest enemy is denial. Denial of the, the bad decisions that you're making. Um, and, you know, so you do a self-assessment. Um, you know, examples of uh, bad processes, being tardy constantly. Uh, calendar mismanagement, chronic procrastination, you know, are you doing projects and, and tasks at the last minute, you know, always over and over again, disorganization, you lose things, you find them, you know, too late to, for them to be useful. Um, so you need to correct those processes. And, and when I say correct them, you know, not engage in a bunch of negative self-talk and, and just be down on yourself and beat yourself up about it. You, that's, you know, just self-flagellation. You actually need to correct the processes. So identify them and then kind of, you know, by yourself just say, okay, I'm going to fix this. What do I need to do to fix it? And th sometimes it's difficult, right? Um, tardiness, uh, procrastination. Hey, I, I'll be honest. I've, I've had those, you know, problems and, and I've actually sought outside help for it, right? Um, do I need to see a therapist? Do I need to go see a career coach? Um, you know, there's a lot of different options. Uh, do I need to have, uh, you know, somebody outside uh, just hold me accountable for some of these things, right? And and all of those things can help, right? So just get it done and get it done without, you know, self-flagellation. That's just not helpful. So I was, I was thinking that too, you know, get get someone outside yourself to help with that self-assessment because even though you, you've heard it said we are our greatest critic, sometimes you actually don't see some of the things that you're doing that you need to correct. I know, I know I've been guilty of that. I didn't realize I was doing something that, that was a detriment and you know, somebody had to point it out. However obvious it may have been, Hey, you're, you're doing this. And if you did it this way, or if you made that change that, you know, your process in this case is going to be a lot better, a lot more efficient. I think a lot of times it takes that second pair of eyes to really help you zero in on getting that process as tight and as efficient as it can be. You know, you can see some of it, 
just like we talked about with getting help writing your resume, for example, you can do some of that, but a lot of it may require outside help. And you know, John, you were talking about rewarding the good processes, even when we have bad outcomes. That's, that's really hard to do. I mean, that's a, that's a spicy meatball to swallow. What would you, how would I do that if I'm the person, you know, in our scenario who worked really hard and didn't get the job that I applied for? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good, really good question. It's, it's difficult, right? Because there's an emotional impact of, of not getting a job of, you know, something that you've emotionally invested in and boom, it's taken away from you, especially if you get to late process and you think, okay, now I'm down to the final three or the final two. It's a, it's a coin flip. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, uh, emotional backlash there and it's something you just need to overcome, right? Um, and you need help overcoming, overcoming some of the emotional part of that. So, you know, that's one component, but then actually, uh, reinforcing and rewarding those good processes. What are good processes that you could have had during that? Did you ask for coaching during the process? You know, um, did you get a great edit on your resume? You did. Okay. You know, you should really congratulate yourself on that. That's really good process. A uh, great prep for screening and early hiring manager interviews. Um, I think we talked about that in our, our pilot episode or episode number one. Um, you know, Doing those things properly, you should congratulate yourself for that and you should have emotional reinforcement. Hey, the outcome wasn't the one you wanted, but this process that you went through was amazing. You know, um, ultimately, those processes, you know, the, the outcome uh, for anybody who's applying for a job is outside of their control. The only thing they can control is how well they're, are, they're prepped for the application process and how well they execute on that preparation during the process. Somebody else is making the decision. And it was always about a probability of outcomes, not about a certainty. Right. So I think the question that I ask is, did you do everything uh, in your reasonable ethical power to tip the odds in your favor? And if you can say yes, then congratulate yourself on that. And there's really nothing else that you could have done. Um, if you have nitpicks or or um, tweaks to your process where you could say, oh, maybe I could have, now that I've gone through this process and I understand it better, um, I see that uh, there was a better prep that I could have done. Great. Now you've recognized that and execute on that better preparation. Oh, uh, my resume, you know, got to that final stage and, and they pointed out that I was saying one thing when I actually meant something a little bit different, just from the, the placement of a, of a comma or a slight misspelling or a, 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 a tweak in tone. Okay, well, I can, I can make that change, right? So not self-flagellating and saying, oh, why did I not make that change until the very end? You know, uh, and when there was pointed out to me in the final process, you know, oh, woe is me. Like, I'll never get anywhere. That's that's not the right thing. Make the change and then move on. Right? So that's that's kind of uh, what I'm saying. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, we are here to talk about career iteration. And as you're going through this process and trying to tighten it up, it, Interviewing is probably something that none of us do super often. You know, you're, you're probably not going to go on one interview a month or one interview a week. <laughs> if you are, then that, that may be a sign that uh, you're having trouble finding employment. But 
it's it's practice. So I would encourage people who are going through this process and trying to improve it so that you can take an inventory of how good your process was or how it's improved. Take some notes. You know, how how well did it go in your opinion? Did did I actually get help with my resume this time? Uh, what were my strong points in the in the interview that I felt or that the interviewer gave me feedback on? And and have that at the ready so that you can do some of that analysis and see what needs improvement just just based on that. Because a lot of times these processes are very fast, multiple meetings, multiple discussions. You're not going to remember everything super well if you don't write some of it down. Wouldn't you say, John? Yeah, that's that's such a good point. You know, it, you really need to, in order to reveal, review process and improve process, you need to take accurate notes and records of what that process was. Um, the points at which you think, you know, things could have been improved, um, even heck, even communication about, um, what should or shouldn't have happened at a specific point. Right. Um, maybe there is a miscommunication about, you know, who was supposed to schedule the next meeting uh, or that a meeting got completed. Um, you know, all of those things, you know, every single, uh, part of the process that, that you observe and you feel like is within your control you know, you can take a note about it and then make, you know, that part of your new process. The next time going around is like, hey, you know, last time uh, I didn't call back a recruiter within 24 hours after finishing an interview. And uh, this time I'm definitely going to do that, you know, and things like that. So, you know, write it down and then write it down as part of a formal process that you go through. This kind of reminds me of, you know, sporting events for kids. It's not about whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. In this case, the victory is not completely determined by you. So it really is how you play the game and how you get that process tightened up. And you, because of that, sometimes it can be really hard to deal with the disappointment of being turned down when you feel like you were the right person or you feel like you did everything right. And maybe you did do everything right. But maybe this is why you need to look at dreaming in bands. This plays really nice into our next topic here. And John, you know, we had a conversation with someone offline, and I actually heard you say that this person needed to dream in bands. And the minute I heard it, I thought, okay, this is a future podcast topic. And since it came out of your mouth and out of your brain, I'm going to ask you to expand on that and give us a little bit of that John White unplugged <laughs> that you have. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember saying that and I remember you pointing it out afterwards too. Yeah. So just to, to explain a little bit further, what I meant was, you know, the person said, well, this was the dream job, you know, I'm applying for my dream job at my dream company. And I, and I said, well, I think that, you know, one change of thinking that, that we can all do is not focus in on specifics in our dreams. We need to dream in bands and Bands of possibility is what I, you know, bands are short for. Um, so that statement, you know, working at company X is my dream job. It's it's something that that I said uh, personally, right? I, I think I've said even on this podcast before, um, being an SE at VMware was my dream job. And then the first day that I was an SE at VMware, I had to figure out what my new dream was, right? Um, so let me back up. You know, there's really no shouldn't be a single dream position 
And there shouldn't be a singular, wonderful company to work for. Um, There's lots of great companies out there who share similar ethics, uh, similar positive culture, have similar goals, um, and even, you know, operate in similar industries. Um, There's lots of positions rolling out from each of those companies because, they, you know, companies that are positive and uh, are ethical and have great goals, they tend to be growing companies, right? So they're, they tend to hire and they tend to promote people from within and, you know, maybe people even, you know, grow faster in the company. So they, they have to leave uh, for a short period of time to get their, their next great position. So, um, you know, you need to, instead of focusing in on a singular role, uh, the way, you know, maybe even I did, you need to say, well, this is the type of role that I have, I want to have, and this is the type of company that I want to work at. Um, so, you know, that that's more of what I mean by dream bands. It's the possibilities of the uh-huh. types of roles. Yeah, that's good. It sounds like you're trying to tell me there are a lot of fish in the sea here, John, that I can snatch up and choose for my own as I look for my dream job. But how do we even define what a dream job is? It seems like this mythical creature we have to catch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... I think when we talk about dream jobs, it's too easy to focus in on specific roles at specific companies. Um, you know, first of all, you need to individually decide, you know, like, you know, you and I can't dream for other people. So we can't say your dream job should be this. Um, so the individual person has to figure out what that is, right? Some One person might say, you know, part of my dream role would be to have enough time and freedom to uh, spend time in this outside activity that I have. So, you know, my ambition to progress is not actually that high. Like I, you know, I want a certain type of role and I'm happy to stay in it for, you know, 10 or more years. Um, and, and, and that, that's fine for that person. You know, I think that we as individuals have to figure out what that is. And you need to figure out the characteristics of those types of roles, not the specifics. And I know that we've talked about that before. Um, and I've described, you know, what my characteristics were, I think at a certain point, um, smart people who think differently from me, uh, the opportunity for mentorship, the opportunity to be a mentee, opportunity for advancement. I think I kind of, you know, knew that, you know, the idea of centering my technology specialization around virtualization was, was in my mind. Um, so, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that work for me, but they're not the kinds of things that work for everybody. So everybody individually kind of needs to do some, uh, soul searching. And, and I think we even talked about it in episode 16, um, that the topic there was reasons to not pursue a career opportunity. Um, but the, articles and sources that we we consulted there were all about um, how to identify types of companies that you would want to work at. So that helps with maybe the company side, uh, the types of uh, companies that you might want to work with, work for, um, but there's still a spectrum of roles, right? So you can identify the characteristics of those types of roles or the, the type of team that you want to work on, the type of manager that you want to work for. You know, those are all, um, again, bands and, and collections of characteristics and you, you might not get a hundred percent, but even, you know, if you have enough positive aspects of it and you say, I don't know about this characteristic, but you know, they took, 
you know, 70% of my other boxes and I think that's good enough, then I think that's really an important way to, to roll forward. Yeah, that's good. Now, so when you reflect back on it, John, and you're, you're targeting VMware, you're targeting the, the SE role, what are your thoughts about whether that was a good idea to pick a specific position in a specific region at one specific company? Good, bad, or should have changed it a little bit? Yeah, so you're calling me on my own process now. I, that's a, it's a really good point. It's a really good observation, right? So I think at the time I lived in Southern California, I said, I think I want to be an SE at VMware in Southern California. Way too specific. It was specific on the role, it was specific on the company, and it was specific on the region. Um, and you know, maybe I should have uh, I should have opened that up, right? I should have uh, opened that up to to dream and bands, right? Um, was the company specific and important? Could I have been happy at at Amazon and their you know AWS division? Could I have been happy at Google uh, working for the Google Cloud platform or or Cisco or or Oracle for Oracle Cloud? Uh, how about resellers who you know resold VMware, even if I wanted to you know stay focused on VMware? Um, that what was it about that SE role that I was uh, focusing in on? Was was that SE title specific? Uh, there's a solution architect role. Um, how about a pure sales role? Um, you know, selling those technologies. How about as a post sales consultant? Um, now I know there's a role called a TAM, a technical account manager who drives uh, best practices and adoption of the technologies that the companies have bought. You know, did I even think to do any kind of research into the types of roles that were available? I certainly didn't do good enough research. Um, so, you know, did I look at all the all the jobs posted and go, well, I don't know what that title's for. Like, what you know, I need to find somebody to explain that title to me. You know, uh, and then region, right? I I was pretty focused on Southern California, um, but could I have thought about Northern California? I, I almost, you know, didn't apply for the job that I have today because it was in Northern California. And I just assumed that, you know, I was locked into to Southern California. And it was actually my wife who said, well, you know, you don't say no. You know, there's, there's reasons to not say yes to that role, but just because it's in Northern California isn't a good enough reason, right? So should I have expanded my search to, to Arizona, to Colorado, to the Pacific Northwest, to Nevada, you know, probably, you know, probably should have said, I'm probably going to be happiest here, but here's my second and third place choices. And then I'm ha probably my best match company is VMware, but what are my second, third and fourth place? And should I be expanding and looking out there, you know, and, and that's my self critique of my process. So, um, you know, I, Hopefully, I'm I'm living living it now and and expanding, you know my uh, my career band uh, my career path to be a band of possibilities instead of one specific role. Yeah, that's good. I think so many people just they just don't do that. They don't expand into the dream band. It's just too too narrow minded. You got the sunglasses on. You're only looking at one thing. So I'm going to call you out, John. I hope it's all right, but. Now that you've achieved the dream, how do you figure out what the next one should be? Like, what's the next dream, John, for John White? Dream job for John White. Sorry. Yeah. Right. So, so being an SE, um, VMware has a technical career path for individual contributors. So that's one potential path, right? I'm a. I came in as a as a entry level SE solution engineer 
is what we call it now. Um, you know, there's a whole promotion path. So I got promoted to senior SE and I got promoted to staff SE. You know, there's a another role above that called senior staff, uh, where you actually have to go in front of a pretty serious uh, career review board, even if you get selected to go that far. And then above that, there's the principal title, which again, another review board, very, very serious. Um, I would say the number of people with the principal title uh, in the company um, is double digits, right? Um, and about, you know, besides that, there's there's other roles. Maybe there's a solution architect role. Maybe there's a, a SE manager role. Um, maybe that would be interesting. Um, but you know, those are all possibilities, and I have to think about them. You know, in that possibility, I'm probably waiting. Uh, what I am doing today, the heaviest. Um, but, you know, I have to open myself up to roles like management or solution architect or, or even moving, right? There's, you know, what if my wife just gets like a, a terrific job offer in the Pacific Northwest or in Boston, you know, then should I say, well, I, you know, I'm quitting VMware because, uh, I only want to have a VMware job in Northern California. Like I, I can't think that way. I have to think about, you know, the, all the other roles at VMware that maybe match the geography that is best for my family unit as well. So yeah. that's kind of how I think about it today. Yeah, that's so true. Don't, don't rule out the relocation part and staying with the same company. I had a former colleague who moved from Dallas Fort Worth to Phoenix and he let the company know that he had to make that move and he stayed with the company because he really enjoyed working there and they really enjoyed having him employed and he's been working from there for a few years now so good for him and nice and, yeah. and again yeah don't rule it out so as we get close to a close here john the whole dream thing what why should i have a dream i mean it seems like a dream is something that is almost unreachable, something you don't think would really happen. Does it seem like maybe classifying all of these things with the word dream, is that making it too far out of reach? Are we, is it too much of a fantasy and not enough analysis of what's really possible? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think maybe when we say dream job, it's too much and in the realm of fantasy. So I think, um, you know, the, the whole thesis of dreaming and bands is that we have to start, um, expanding the, the possible, uh, on the upper end and at the lower end. And when people say dream, they usually think only at the upper end, right? My dream is to be a CIO of a company or a CEO of a fortune 500 company, maybe for example, well, there's only 500 of those. Um, so, you know, what, what are the interstitial steps? You know, what are the the gaps in the skills and experience that you have uh, between you now and and that person and that title and role then? And what are you doing to to get there? Right. Um, so, um, I think that you know, it's it's a goal is maybe the better word, the 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 less um, emotionally loaded word, right? The the word with the fewer. Uh, connotations right dream is like oh it's fantasy and goal feels a little bit more concrete and reachable um but you can have intermediate goals and you can have you know far away uh you know long-term uh and medium-term goals so 
uh, I think maybe, yeah, maybe use the word goal, maybe use instead of dream and, and that's fine. Uh, but you know, what's more important is that you need to have something, right? If you don't have a goal of progression, um, again, within the, the, a band of possible, uh, ways to go, you're, you're, you're probably not going to progress. So let's have a goal of progression somehow. Start with short term. Think about what the medium term could be. You know, that's a wider uh, series of branching possibilities. And the long term is an even wider series of branching possibilities. So um, you have to start thinking that way in order to actually progress and doing the analysis of, you know, what's between me and that goal. So that's uh, I, I think, you know, it's a legitimate thing to say, yeah, the word dream is maybe has too many connotations. And goal is a better word. So maybe a dreamer is really an expert goal setter, somebody who can dial it in and go for what they want, but within reason and put it into a pool of things that might make the dream come true, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so interesting to see successful people interviewed about their career paths. And a number of times you'll see that, well, I didn't even think that I could do this. I didn't even know that this was possible. I moved from here to here, here to here, this opportunity opened up, I took it, this other thing, I studied for this, I achieved these things, this other thing happened, I, you know, another opportunity opened up that I didn't know was there. And I took that and it's like, okay, well, you know, none of those things were necessarily intentional. But what was intentional was progression, being open to ideas, having you know, goals that, you know, again, were in, in bands, you know, a role like this, a progression that looks like this, maybe not a specific title at a specific company, but something like this. And then when those opportunities open up, then it looks a little bit more natural, right? Oh yeah, that was what I was um, preparing for. I didn't know that it existed and I didn't know that that role existed, you know, but somebody told me about it or I found out about it, however, and then I applied for it and got it. So I don't know that, that, there's a little bit more about what my fit and feel is for that topic. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of this is really about exposure to what's out there because you've seen so many different types of positions pop up in our space and the technology space that sometimes it's hard to keep track of them. And there may be a new one out there that gets created that you can step into that you didn't realize. So just be open to those possibilities when they come up for sure. Nice. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, well, Nick, I think that's it for that segment. And as a result, all the topics that we had planned, uh, anything else pop in your mind while we were talking? Well, you know, John, some may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. If you're a dreamer out there, if you need someone to help you find that dream or realize that goal that you've been reaching for, there's no reason you can't reach out DM at Nerd Journey, sign up for the John White School of Mentoring today so that John can help you find your dream band. He can create it for you, pricing and packaging to come. But hey, just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Uh, tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. Signing off. Adios.
Well, you know, John, some may say I'm a dreamer. But I'm not the only one. <laughs> That's right.